You're listening to Radio Free Satan. Enjoy the show. I would like, if I may, take you on a strange journey. Welcome to Nine Cents. Nine Cents is a satanic perspective of our modern world. I'm your host, Adam Campbell. It is great, <laughs> Tony the Tiger, great to have you. It's December 9th, and I've got a great, that's right, I'm saying great again, show for you this week. Okay, so at the Devil's Advocate, I'm going to talk to you, you know, Christmas time is known as the season of perpetual hope. And the Devil's Advocate... I'm going to give you a, a little bit of a rant on the trouble with hope from a Satanist's perspective. In the Infernal Informant, I got two articles. Pearl Harbor Survivor 91 helps identify unknown dead and name Davis, man charged in Subway Rider's death, blame his voices. Yeah. And instead of a uh, creature feature today... Got down to the crossroads, sat down with Aaron for episode six. Death might be your Santa Claus. <laughs> really, really great episode. All right, so, uh, you know, before we start the show, I told you last week and you were uh, informed last year this time when, uh, you know, it's the holidays, so I want to sort of give you a story or a song and, and kind of examine it from a satanic point of view. So last week I gave you a Christmas song and wrapped it around the idea of the history of Christmas um, via Saturnalia. Today I'm not going to take a whole segment for it, but it is the song Santa Claus is Coming to Town. And I've always thought this was a weird song. On its face it seems innocent, but... Um, well, how about we just dive right in, shall we? Okay, so you, again, bear with me. You better watch out. You better not cry. You better not pout. I'm telling you why. Santa Claus is coming to town. He's making a list and checking it twice. He's gonna find out who's naughty or nice. Santa Claus is coming to town. So, already, you're being threatened with the possibility that this dude is coming to town. You're literally, they're telling you not to do things that may come naturally, meaning pout or cry. And you have to keep your watch out. You got to be looking to the skies because he's going to come. And what is he going to do? Oh, my gosh. What is he going to do to me? <laughs> like, you're just terrified that this dude is going to become prancing onto your roof. It's kind of weird. Kind of stalker. But it's worse because then suddenly he's, he's keeping, he has tabs on you on like a list. You know who else had lists? Nazis, that's right, Nazis had lists. Santa is a Nazi, and you, my friend, are Juden. You are on this list whether you like it or not, and he's making a little check mark right next to your name. Was this man naughty or nice? Oh, they're nice, yeah. Yeah, he's good, he's very good. And uh, you're so terrified that they're going to come getting you. It does have a lot of parallels with sort of Nazi Germany, right? And it's weird, and 
you never really look at it this way. Santa Claus is hunting you. You're on the list. The only thing that's stopping this from being full-blown craziness is wearing, like, a star patch or something. It's crazy, right? He's going to find out who's naughty or nice because he asks questions. Because he makes your neighbor turn you in if you don't fall in line goose-stepping to the Christmas tree. Yeah, that's right. It gets worse. He sees you when you're sleeping, and he knows when you're awake. He knows if you've been bad or good, so be good for goodness sake. Oh! What the fuck? What the... So now there's eyes on you. Like, before, you were supposed to be looking out for him. Now, he's watching you. Yeah, it's like that old joke. This call is coming from inside your house. <laughs> ah! Okay, so he knows what you're doing. That time when you were homesick watching Sally, Jesse, Raphael, and for whatever reason you thought it would be a great time to touch yourself in the wrong way, he saw it. Yeah. Now, normally Christians sort of shelf powers like that for their grand god. This one time a year, they allow this fat, dirty, gross dude with a beard to watch you? Like, what if you're in the tub and you're being bad? That's, I mean, on my book, that's a good thing, right? So, I mean, if, and, and so I guess everything is a little bit relative. So is it, is it good to him or is it good to you? Because... I think it matters. I mean, there can be serious, serious, and who, what, what, what moral code is this guy operating off of? Obviously, he has no problem spying on people. He has no problem threatening children about him coming to town. And he keeps tabs on you, keeping lists and check marks next to your name. This guy is a monster. With little tin horns and little toy drums, Rudy Toot Toot and Rummy Tum Tums, Santa Claus is coming to town. Don't even ask me what that means. It's like a, it's like a train running down the tracks, hauling more of you Santa lovers to your burning incendiary devices. And again, he sees you when you're sleeping, and he knows when you're awake. And he knows if you've been bad or good, so be good for goodness sake, goodness sake. What does that even mean, goodness sake? You better watch out, you better not cry, you better not pout, I'm telling you why. Santa Claus is coming to town, ah, ah, Santa Claus is coming to town, ah, ah, Santa Claus is coming to town. And yes, there's other verses, and I'm not going to go into that. I just wanted to bring that different perspective to you. It's a little weird, right? This dude is a freaking pervert, a voyeur, and he's coming to town. And all the dirtiness that that implies. Yeah, I don't think you should be telling your kids these stories. Don't be singing these songs to them. It's, it's like grim fairy tales. The originals are very dirty. And Santa Claus is very dirty. <laughs> Alright, so the rest of the show, um, you know, before I get into it, I just also want to give a little note here. Nine Cents presents Satanists on Satanic Cinema. You guys know that Blue Velvet has been out for a while and is still available. The Ninth Gate has been out for a while and is still available. And the next episode, Horror Hotel, 
very soon to be released, so keep your ears peeled there. Oh, yeah, and one more thing. This happened, like, a week ago, and I didn't mention it last week. I'm not... I, I must have forgotten. It was this weird moment I had, and it was so strange that it sort of pushed me out of my body, almost. In spirit. Not not in spirit as in, like, you know what I mean. It, it was enough to sort of ruffle my feathers. So, you go in if you have asthma, and I was sort of hooked up to this breathing machine because my asthma is getting worse lately. And so you've been able to tell because you've been hearing me wheeze as I've been speaking and, and reading these articles and ranting and stuff. But uh, so I go into the uh, doctor's office and he immediately hooks me up to this sort of ventilator where I get this moment of, I feel like Darth Vader. <laughs> I feel like this mask on and I'm, I'm sort of just inhaling this chemical and my whole body's getting all weird and numb and... It's a little bit weird. And so I'm, I'm hooked up to that. And so immediately I'm lightheaded. My body's all tingly. I, I feel like I'm on drugs or something. It's really weird. And then he comes in, gives me a new prescription for a, a different um, inhaler. And this time he wants me to use a spacer. But he wants me to be taught how to use a spacer. And, I, and if you don't know, a spacer is literally like a tube between your inhaler, your pump inhaler, and your mouth. So... It's supposed to allow the uh, medicine to get into your lungs more effectively. Um, but essentially, it's just you with a toilet paper roll between <laughs> your mouth and the uh, pump inhaler. And someone's got to show me how to do this. And so, literally, this nurse has to come in. And and, and so, I am already have a little bit of anticipation. The dirty old Santa Claus inside of me is like, oh, yeah, a little nurse is going to show me how to do this. All right, cool. Um, because I'm, I'm, I'm sick like that, and uh, I'm expecting a nurse to come in and show me, by doing it herself, um, sort of doing this, this process, which is akin in my 12-year-old boy mind <laughs> that I immediately revert to when anything sexual comes to mind, um, like she's going to give head to this inhaler device or something, and, and so, yeah, I'm a little excited, i got to be honest. And then the woman comes in, and there's nothing sexy about this woman. And so immediately, I'm sort of kicked back into um, medical mode. <laughs> like, you know, someone's showing you STD pictures. There's nothing sexy about that. So you're just sort of kicked back into medical mode is how I refer to it. Um, nothing could be further from your mind than anything sexual. But the person who's doing it, I think, can tell... In their mind, like, they have to have done this so many times, but still they sort of get that, I feel like, okay, he's thinking I'm going to be, you know, doing something sexual, and so I've got to be as, as straight-laced as possible, and then I start looking at them, seeing in their eyes that they're looking at me, waiting for me to respond in that weird sexual way that, that people always would if they were an attractive person, but because everything, you know, is on a sort of ranging scale, attractiveness varies, and so... To me, there was literally nothing sexual at all, but I could feel as if she wanted it to seem to me sexual so that she could have justification in being offended by a look that she wanted me to give her just to justify her offense. There wasn't even existing. It was this weird sort of Twilight Zone moment of, no, I don't want to see you in that way, and she wanted me to so that she could be, like, disgusted by it. <laughs> and I think this happens... A lot more than people will admit. I guarantee this happens a lot. 
And okay, maybe it's just in my head, but it still was real at that moment. So she was giving the example and then something happened. And, and so I, I'm looking at her like she's like this insane person, um, doing this and, <laughs> you know, time slows down when you're hyper analyzing anything. <laughs> so she's, you put your mouth on the end, you press the plunger and you slowly inhale. And I'm just like, you are so gross. Why is this happening to me? And then I see in her eyes everything I just told you. And then she's like, would you like to try? I need to make sure that you understand. And so let's pull away from this whole sexual side of it really quick. Just to say, who the fuck doesn't understand how to use an inhaler? You give a chimpanzee an inhaler. I guarantee 10 to 20 seconds, they're going to figure it out. It's not complicated. More to the point, even let's make the assumption that I'm a complete idiot and I don't know, <laughs> come on now, that I don't know how to use an inhaler, right? Uh, just explain it. You don't have to show me and then we can avoid all this weird non-sexual tension that's going on and, and more why do I have to show you? Like, you're the one showing... I'm not... I, I'm paying for this hospital visit. Why do I have to have this moment of complete discomfort so that you can check a box like, yes, I showed him, and yes, he showed me? Because now, I'm in her position where I'm like, okay, she's now seeing this as a sexual thing, and it's really gross, and it's really weird, and, uh yeah, it was just like complete and utter role reversal at that moment. I was looking at her thinking... I want to be upset with you, so look at this like it's sexual. And no, that didn't mean that I would like <laughs> made it that way, uh, which actually, in retrospect, would have been really funny. <laughs> Just sort of caressing the inhaler at the end of this extender. Oh yeah, maybe next time I'll do that. That that would have been really funny. But you know, I, I really genuinely wanted to be upset. Be, but she didn't show me anything like that. It was all professional. It was all up and up. So maybe this entire mishap was in my head. It happens. But I just wanted to share that. It was just so weird because I was just kicked out of my body. Like, I know exactly what she is thinking right now. And it's funny because I am not in line with this at all. Like, this is gross and I'm not happy. And then I immediately went there. <laughs> all right. So maybe not as interesting to you, but... <laughs> Let's, uh, how about we just dive into the show and stop with the bullshit. Let's talk about the trouble with hope in The Devil's Advocate right now. You say why? I say why bother? How you done? Great. Let's cut the bullshit and get real. Why this purity you feel about evil? For Christ's sake, why? They don't lie to me. I guess, Father. You gotta feel that old nick in your soul. And it becomes clear. Like it did for me. The first time. That's when I realized my one true calling in life. And what's that? Shit, man. <laughs> I'm a born devil's advocate. 
Welcome to the Devil's Advocate. I'm a Satanist. I'm an active member in the Church of Satan, but I do not speak for the Church of Satan. That is all. It is the season of perpetual hope. So I was raised in a household that was very much Christian, and this time of the year, everyone tried to sort of thrust this idea that put your troubles away, anything can happen if you just if you just have hope, things will just work themselves out. It is a, I, I don't know, divine providence or Jesus watches and backs Santa's play or something. Um, I'm not entirely sure of the reason or or even really where it first came from. But I got a problem with this. And then there, there's a couple reasons why I have a problem with this. But I, I'm going to sort of just land on, on one and, and sort of beat it to the ground here for a minute. And if you'll indulge me. Um, I'm a Satanist. And so hope... Hope is a word I don't use very much. I mean, superficially, oh, I hope you have a good day. Uh, yeah, I'll use it like that. Or, or uh, you know what, I hope your fun drive goes really well. I'll use it like that. It's not It's not something I take literally, like, I am hoping. Ooh, and, and like, the, the process of, of hoping is just, like, making tiny fists with your hands and feet and squinching your face up. Ooh, make it happen just because I'm hoping. That's counter... Product that you must well be praying that it's going to be working. There, there's literally nothing coming of that. What you can do, on the hand, my friends, is make it happen. <laughs> like, in, instead of putting all of your strength and and your peace of mind into hope, the season of perpetual hope. Look at your ass out there. Work a little harder make a little more scrilla to do whatever you hope is going to happen. I mean, that's, that, that's really what this comes down to, right? It's it's if you're hoping for something, you're just sort of wishing. And if you want something to actually happen, you do it. You, you actually physically do it. That's really, I mean, you can boil a lot of these things down. That's one of the core differences between a Christian mindset and a satanic mindset. Christians are happy with hope. They're happy with faith, and they're happy with prayer. Oh, that's great, whatever. Let them stay there and be counterproductive. Satanists are going to work for whatever it is. So if your loved one is in the hospital, and you're hoping they pull through, get your ass to the hospital and improve their perspective. Um... Be involved in the process. Uh, get multiple doctors' opinions and have them run tests. Instead of hoping for a better recovery, oh, I hope it's going to happen, get involved in the process. And though the end result may be the same, at least you were doing something productive. And that's really what it comes down to. I mean, you live your life and hopefully you are doing it with the reins in your hand, right? I mean, you're, you're guiding your own existence. I hope. <laughs> I mean, if you don't, you're just being batted around like a bag in the wind with some uh, weirdo from uh, American Beauty videotaping you. Reference? Yeah.
Okay. <laughs> so as a Satanist, you have to be involved. And that's really what this comes down to, is that this is the season where a lot of people have nostalgia for the way they were raised. And there's nothing wrong with that. You may have a connection with uh, music or visuals or togetherness. And there's nothing wrong with that. Satanists love and have discriminating love um, with those around them. Not necessarily active love. That sounded kind of weird. <laughs> but you know what I mean. You know, we discriminate and so we, we choose what we want. And so we appreciate it that much more because that is selected love. It's not just sort of like this communal sense of love. And we don't hope that things will work out right. We don't hope that this time of the year, the bill collectors will just forget about our debt. No. Hopefully you're not living in debt. Oh, see, I'm saying it again. You're working and you're paying off any debt that you may have. You want to stand on your own two feet. And if you cannot afford that Christmas that you want to provide for your girlfriend or your family or whatever it is, you don't buy it. You don't hope that financially things are going to work their way out. You are responsible about it. And don't get caught up in the consumerism that... And, and here's another thing. Whether you celebrate Christmas or not, there is this sense of giving this time of year. Be discerning. Don't hope that money will just go to the right place don't give to charities without looking at, at it if you're going to give to anyone at all. And let me tell you something. There's nothing wrong with saving your money for a rainy day that actually matters. That, that doesn't just happen to fall at the end of the month and society tells you you have to dump it all on something. You don't. I mean, whatever the traditions in your family are, whatever traditions you're happy with carrying on, that's great. But don't do it with hope. Because hope is a killer. You hope God will take care of you so you don't vaccinate your children or you don't go to the doctor. Shit happens. That stuff happens. We, we, we have modern, modern medicine. We have the miracles of modern medicine at our fingertips. Um, why would you hope things could get better? They, they are. Just get out there and do something about it. Don't fall into the hope trap. And I, I've sort of beaten this to this, so I'll stop here. But uh, yeah, the season of perpetual hope is bullshit. Hope will leave you broke. Don't hope. Work. Work your ass off for whatever it is that you're hoping will come to pass. It'll be more tangible, and you will have your life holding the reins and not being batted around. It's important. Uh, let's go ahead and move on to the Infernal Informant. Listen up! Listen up! Hey, y'all, Good news! There's no devil! Bad news! Else, no heaven! There's nothing to see! I'm your Infernal Informant! Alright, the first article is from CNN.com. Pearl Harbor Survivor 91 Helps Identify Unknown Dead by Phil Gast. And this was posted on the 7th. Warren P. Hickok broke his right leg as a boy. Peyton L. Vanderpool Jr. had a missing front tooth. Those physical characteristics eventually aided the identification of the men decades after they were killed on December 7th, 
1941 during the Japanese attack on Pearl Harbor. Using detective-like skills and personal records, Pearl Harbor survivor Ray Emery, 91, has made it his mission to ensure graves are properly identified at the National Memorial Cemetery of the Pacific, which fills the Punchbowl Crater in Honolulu. So far, he has aided to the identification of nine service members who died that fateful Sunday morning. I sleep at night, Emery said. It's very satisfying. On Friday morning, the former sailors' efforts were recognized during a ceremony marking the 71st anniversary of the attack. He's bringing closure to family, said Rear Admiral Frank Pons, commander of the Navy Region Hawaii. It also brings closure to the shipmates and other survivors who served during this time. Uh, I gotta cut in here really quick. Are we just... Is this just masturbation at this point? No, I... You know, I'm always beating the drum about um, honoring the dead and then those who have served and sacrificed, and I, I do mean that, but... Really, this guy... Okay, so this guy helped identify, like, nine people, right? And And so they're... They're, like, honoring him? He identified nine people since 1941? Or just recently? And because of that, there... Do you ever think there was, like, a, a, a committee? Um, okay, well, guys, the uh, the anniversary of December 7th, the bombing of uh, Pearl Harbor is coming up again. Well, we've been doing this every year since 1941. Uh, what are we going to do this year? What do you guys... Uh, all right, brainstorming session, everyone. What, what, what do we have? What's going on? Oh, we can do a pig roast? No, no, it's not really patriotic enough. Uh, we put a flag on the pig? Ooh, that's a good idea. I like that. I like that. Oh, wait a second. Isn't there an old guy that, like, identified, like, nine dudes he worked with? Y yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, we had, like, a big parade last year. You guys remember that? I mean, that was, that was pretty huge. Yeah, but this guy's old. So, you know... He has detective-like skills. I mean, we, we could sort of do a whole pop and circumstance thing over him and, and his identification of the nine people out of the thousands. Um, yeah, yeah, I think that's a good idea. I mean, it certainly beats the pig with the flag idea, though I do love a good pig roast. Let's go with that. Right? I mean, that, what were the... What were the real potential other things that they're going to be celebrating? Because you know, if there's one thing that the military does, it's celebrate itself. So, they have to do these annual things, especially when it's something like Pearl Harbor. They just got to find the, the, the closest thing to relevance. And, okay, it's nice. It, and you can't really fault the old man who was helping identifying these nine people, assuming that he actually did and i gotta be honest if you're 91 years old i don't i don't know how good your memory is gonna be Eh, let's be honest i served just a, you know a handful a couple handfuls of years ago and i don't remember everyone i'd served with i certainly couldn't <laughs> i certainly couldn't tell you that if i was being bombed at the time which ones took it which way and where they were i would really have been thinking about myself so it, it's sort of weird that we expect this old guy to be able to literally identify these bodies. Um, but then you got to ask yourself, does it even matter? Does it matter? I mean, is, is it more important just we go through these mundane exercises to make ourselves feel 
a little bit better. Like, okay, well now Johnny from New York can finally rest in peace that um, Ray Emery identified his uh, hip bone chip that was all that was left of him. Like, that's that's what we're talking about here. It, it, it's just, it, it seems a lot like masturbation to me. And I'm not sure it's really relevant. There's no reason why we should forget, but do we have to celebrate it like this? I mean, every year, is it is it really something that we we have to do? I don't, I'm not sure anymore. Emery, a native of Peoria, Illinois, was serving as a, a seaman first class on the light cruiser USS Honolulu that fateful Sunday morning. Flying from aircraft carriers, Japanese pilots attacked eight American battleships, destroying two, and left a trail of death and destruction. About 2,400 people, most of them in the military, were killed. The Honolulu escaped major damage. The attack shook America's confidence and ushered the country into World War II. After the war, Emory worked in Washington State before moving to Hawaii 27 years ago. The retiree began his quest, amassing records including teeth charts. So 27 years ago he started his work, and he only identified nine. Okay, I'm not going to shit on it. That's still good. That's great. My first problem with the punch bowl was that they could not tell me where Pearl Harbor... I'm sorry. Pearl Harbor victims were found in the cemetery, Emory said on Thursday. The amateur researcher likens his time-consuming efforts to solving a jigsaw puzzle. See, and this is... This is what I'm saying you have a story like this and it's supposed to be like you know these these faithful heroes corpses are finally laid to rest with the help of this uh veteran and he's talking about it like it's a game a jigsaw puzzle like it's not who is this important for really and who are we honoring by this celebrating i don't the more I hear this, the more it starts to kind of piss me off because it's for us. It, it has nothing to do with anything else. It, certainly not the family. It, it's just us feeling like, okay, well, we remember. We are important. How dare those Japs get us? <laughs> ah, it kind of bothers me. I don't, I don't know why. Um, Emery analyzes personnel deceased files, dental records, and family information, and provides his reports to the joint POW-MIA accounting commander, JPAC, based in Hawaii. The command, which identifies unaccounted for Americans from past conflicts, takes it from there. Wait, what? Okay, so he doesn't actually even do anything? He just collects it and sends it to other people to make the analysis? What? Why are they celebrating this guy at all? The command, which identifies unaccountable... Okay, Emory's research in military records first led to the 01 identification of seaman apprentice Thomas Hembree, who served the USS Curtis. Dental records and a photo helped authorities identify Vanderpool, assigned to the USS Pennsylvania. According to JPAC, about 330 of those killed in the attack were buried in graves marked unknown at the Punch Bowl. In November 03, Emory contacted JPAC, suggesting that the grave of an unknown soldier could be the seaman's second-class Warren Paul Hickok. The remains were first buried in Honolulu's Nuanu Cemetery before being moved to the Punch Bowl. Officials used Emory's information as a starting point for research, and they later locked in on Hickok after second examination of the remains. We got luckily, lucky in our re-examination of the case, a JPAC historian wrote. During the original processing of the X2 Nuano, they noted the paperwork that had a healed right femur. 
Hickok's medical records had no indication of this injury, but when I looked at his paperwork from his enlistment to the service, paperwork that wouldn't have been previously available, I noticed that he had written that he'd broken his right leg as a boy. Pons called Emery a hero. Is that... Is that what, what a hero means? Because maybe if... He's a hero because he fought in the war. He's not a hero because he looked at a medical record about a victim, a casualty of the war. That that a hero does not make, my friends. And I, I, I want, you know, he's, he's already a hero because he fought against the Japanese and the Germans who were attacking uh, America. That makes him a hero. This does not make him a hero. You cannot be a hero for looking at records and discovering that this dude who, who was previously unknown uh, just broke his leg and then that solves who he was. It, that's not really... That, that, that's not the comic book hero I was raised on. That's like the accounting hero. That's... The, <laughs> it's like a medical examiner's hero. Again, everything has a sliding scale, but... Eh. I learned from him firsthand that we've done a lot, but there's still a lot to do to identify those who've lost lives. National Memorial Cemetery of the Pacific sits in a crater that resulted from volcanic activity. If you've not been patriotic, once you became immersed in this environment, you became patriotic, said Pons. Or you don't have a pulse. The theme for this year's commemoration at Pearl Harbor was coming of age from innocence to valor. But I love that things have to have a theme. Can't you just celebrate the victory over adversity or the the lost lives? You have to have a you have to have a theme like it's a high school prom. I don't. We're grown ass people. We understand loss, and we we we're in the middle of a war. If if you haven't been connected with it one way or another, I don't really know how you've been living in this world. We understand what it means. Why can't we just celebrate that? By 1945, these boys had become men, says Pons. Friday's ceremony includes a tribute to U.S. submarine crews that served in World War II. One in five, nearly 18,000 men who served on those vessels died. USS Bofin crew member Robert Benyon, 88 of Delon, Florida, represented the submarine service. The Bofin launched one year to the day after the Japanese attack is credited with making the submarine an offensive weapon rather than just a patrol vessel. It sank between 16 and 44 ships. Now that, that is a hero. That submarine and its crew, those are heroes. Benyon, um, or Bainan, went on three of the Bonin's nine wartime patrols. He told CNN of a close scrape with the Japanese escort vessel detected the Bofin after a metal drawer fell out. That noise gave him an opportunity to find us, said Bainan. And that is awesome. I mean, can you imagine being leagues in the ocean, nowhere safe, and one drawer falls over, and that one drawer, everyone's holding their breath, could give away your position and mean your ultimate death. That, oh, the stress, that's amazing. Um, the result was 21 death charges in about 20 seconds, Bain said. And the submarine hurried to more than 600 feet below the surface. Jerry Hoffold, executive director of the USS Bofin Submarine Museum and Park near the Pearl Harbor Visitor Center, said the boat braved a minefield in the Sea of Japan in the closing months of the war. According to Hofit, 
or Hofwool. Those in the submarine service had a strong bond of friendship, reinforcing the phrase, we're all in the same boat. See, and I like how that was closed because that closed with real heroes. It didn't close with the point of the article, which was um, a, a dude who was just looking at medical records. Like, I don't, I don't know. And I just wanted to talk to this because I, I don't want people to think that I'm, um, actually, I don't even give a damn what people think. I don't think that just because you served once that you are forever a hero or just because you are doing something for the military, it's worth a conversation or it's worth uh, celebrating. All right? We have a lot of VA workers who are working for the military who just happen to be assholes. We have a lot of soldiers who are serving our country that just happen to be dickheads. A lot of them aren't combined. I mean, that's, that's where that whole phrase, uh, respect the uniform, comes from. Because a lot of times you don't want to respect the person because they're douchebags. Uh, but you do, in a time of distress, rely on them. In a wartime, uh, certainly in this instance of Pearl Harbor, these men may have been dickheads, they may have been worthless human beings, but they stepped up and they served their country, and we all owe a debt of gratitude to them for that. That is what I respect. So... You know, I just wanted to toss that out there. Let's do the next article here. Um, I don't think this one is very long. Huffington Post, Naaman Davis, man charged in subway rider's death blames voices. Could not pass this one up. <laughs> New York, the man who police say pushed another man to his death in front of an oncoming New York City subway train says he was high on drugs and trying to combat voices in his head. Authorities have charged 30-year-old Naaman Davis with second-degree murder in the mon Monday death of 58-year-old Ki Sukhan. Really? Yeah, I'm not making a joke. Uh, Davis tells the New York Post in Jailhouse interview that Han had grabbed his arm and threatened him earlier. He says he was coaxed into shoving Han by voices in his head that he couldn't control. Davis tells the newspaper he didn't attempt to pull Han to safety because it happened so fast and he was under the influence. He says he didn't mean to kill Han. I, I didn't mean to kill him. I just wanted to kill him <laughs> and i love why can't we just take responsibility for what we did first of all take responsibility for that you're a drug abusing dickhead i'm, I'm calling a lot of names here today <laughs> i don't really know why but you're an addict you're not a responsible human being so you don't really deserve the same rights of every other citizen that's not an addict in my opinion um you certainly should not be trusted in uh, society as a whole, let's say. More to the point, if if he had voices in his head because of his addiction, why why was he even there? Why wasn't he just, like, pushing people around in his apartment complex? Or, you know, I mean, why this one time? Certainly, I mean, th that was really all this article gave, and so I'm sort of jumping to a, a few conclusions here. But hey, why not? It's a lot of fun. So, Han walks up to him and you hear this really fantastic 1970s sort of Asian flute in the background. That was me whistling, not Asian flute. <laughs> I can't, I can't whistle Asian flute. Bear with me. They sort of stare off at each other. There's people in between them in the subway, but they quickly disperse as they can feel the tension building between the two of them. Both of their mouths 
are moving as if speaking, but sound doesn't come out until a couple seconds later. What are you doing down here? I told you never to come in the subway. I... I, I couldn't stay away. You must understand. I, the voices, they compelled me to, to return to this... Where I lost my puppy. Your puppy deserved to die. And now, because you have returned, you too will die. Camera sort of spins around them. Han lunges at him. Uh, what's the other dude's name? <laughs> suck Han. Okay, so that's the <laughs> I'm ruining my story. Davis lunges at Han. Han takes two steps back. Round kicks Davis to the face. He spins in the air a couple more times than would really happen, but cinematically it's okay because it's exciting. Wind and leaves come rustling through as Davis slowly raises himself, pushing himself up off the ground, wipes the blood from his chin, cracks his head slowly to the side, and lunges again, this time catching Han off guard, who was at the time relishing the cheers and, and claps of the surrounding subway passengers, or, or soon-to-be passengers. Han doesn't know how to react as Davis quickly wraps his arms around him, the smell of crystal meth emanating from his rotting, gaping mouth. Now you die, and pushes him, and for a moment, he's flying in the air, and there's a peaceful serenity that washes over his face, which is quickly smashed off of it by the subway train. Um, I think my story was a little bit better than <laughs> Huffington Post's version. But, eh. Okay, so here's my problem. He's being charged with second-degree murder. There were witnesses. Like, I understand, you know, we have to, uh, you know, presume innocent until proven guilty. But there's witnesses. He admitted to doing it. He's an addict. Do you need to try... If you have an admitted um, murderer, uh, just sort of skip the whole trial part and... You know, ten-cent solution. Shoot him. Execute him. Hang him. Burn him. I don't care what you gotta do, but by getting lawyers involved, by getting courts involved, by getting the media involved, you are costing all of us time and money. Um, so, you know, there's really no reason for it. And the fact that this guy's an addict it doubles down on the need to get rid of him. He's going to self-destruct but now he's affecting the rest of society. You must stop it. We have a responsibility as a society to police ourselves. And this guy is one of them that just happens to not be worth anything. Let's take care of the problem and move on. And that's all. So let's go ahead and I'm really excited about this. Down in the crossroads. Dive right in there. Oh! I always love talking with Aaron, and this is a great episode. Enjoy. Ah, right, there you will. Sure you won't stay out in this blackout? Sure is dark tonight. Thank you for the ride, sir. I think I'll be fine. See yourself.
what are you doing out here? Oh, I'm, I'm headed down to the crossroads. <laughs> Wait, miss. You can't be. You're the, you're the devil. devil. But you're, you're beautiful. beautiful. Just sign here. Oh my God. Welcome to another Down to the Crossroads. I'm being joined once again by Aaron. How are you, my dear? I'm doing well. How are you? Stellar. I am stellar. Excellent. Yeah, I haven't been stellar in like at least three months. And it's... how do you know when you're stellar? Like, well, it it is it's tough because stellar is really really close to uh-huh. outrageous. Um, oh, the difference is, out- is outrageous is more than stellar. Yes, or less than stellar. Yes. Oh, okay. The oh, way okay. I tell the difference, and this is just me. I mean, you know, mm-hmm. miles vary according sure. to uh, make a model, but my pants are on during stellar okay. uh-huh. and off. <laughs> so for the other one. So you know, that's that's how I tell. So, but what's right below stellar? Um Um not, <laughs> You hadn't thought about that, why you? Not too shabby? Uh, <laughs> Doesn't that, seem right obviously below still stellar. you have pants on, but um you're you're uh yeah, you're not drinking as much as stellar. Okay. So. Alright, cool. Good to know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so uh, we're here to talk about some music. <laughs> Not, yes, not, as usual, not your pants. No, indeed. <laughs> I'm going to have to edit that, maybe. Okay, so, <laughs> <laughs> what do you have for us? And this is December. This is the uh, is. month of Saturnalia, or Hanukkah, or Kwanzaa, or Christmas. That's what I celebrate. Yeah. <laughs> Kwanzaa. <laughs> do you know if they do anything for I Kwanzaa? Like, what's the... I have no idea what Kwanzaa entails. I know there's a lot of, like, patterned fabric that's involved in... <laughs> is that really... Probably some food and probably some candles. There's like some but that's... some role playing of redistribution. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> Maybe we'll have to ask somebody. It's like role reversal in slavery. So they got a bunch. Oh of... my god, that's great! If they reenacted like the whole <laughs> slavery thing with the ships and everything, but they were the white people this time. <laughs> would it, okay, but would it be offensive to you if they went in whiteface? Nothing offends me. Almost nothing offends me. So they can. I would love it. Actually, I think that would be phenomenal if they were all in white face. I would pay good money to see uh, a black man uh, playing it straight in white face. Yeah, yeah. Like, me too. <laughs> like owning it. That would be great. All right. Well, let's uh, let's talk about some music. Now that we've got the racism out of the yes. way, we can move on. <laughs> we shelved <laughs> it for the moment. We've we've met our quota for the episode. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so I thought we might talk about Christmas, yeah. since uh, that's normally what I celebrate mm-hmm. um, around the holiday season. So let's kick it off with a little cautionary tale from our good friend, the Reverend Edward Claiborne. Uh, let's go ahead and start it. Okay, so this is the death maybe your Christmas present? The wrong way to celebrate Christmas. Wrong way, wrong way. Some people use the wrong way to celebrate Christmas Day. Yeah, don't be fooled by the picture on the video that says death may be your Christmas present. Yeah. <laughs> I'm digging this. Yeah, this is great. On the 25th of December, 1928. 
<laughs> you can't see it, but I'm shaking my hands in the air. Oh, God, I'm so glad to hear that. <laughs> I wish you had a tambourine in there. <laughs> so why'd you choose this one? So, because I think it's great, uh, like I said, a cautionary tale about, you know, the true meaning of Christmas, <laughs> according to a black preacher. Um, this guy, Reverend Ed Edward Claiborne, he only has a few recordings out there, and he's, you know, and there's almost nothing known about the man. Uh, just that he was sort of an evangelical preacher, and he liked to, he, they called himself the guitar evangelist, so he'd play some guitar and blues and just basically preach to people about the right way and the wrong way to live. <laughs> As you can tell in this song, he's, you know, he wants people to know that, you know, Christmas isn't all about spending your money and, you know. What? I know, right? And drinking, roaming the streets and drinking their soul away. No, what? <laughs> yeah, apparently we've had it wrong all these years. Yeah. Well, he would know. He would know, yeah. He's got a direct line to, to Jeebus. Well, now, wait a second, because I didn't realize the war on Christmas went this far back. <laughs> oh, sure. Yeah, ever since there's been no Christian, there's been a war Ever since we took the Christ out of Christmas, that's when it all... And apparently, yeah, it's, it was way back in the... When did this come out? I don't know, 20s? 28, yeah. Uh, just to be fair, we didn't take the Christ out of Christmas, we crucified the Christ out of Christmas. Yeah. A little more style. Stop and clap, this is awesome. Yeah. You can see why he was so appealing, you know, he's a pretty compelling guy. He's got that great slide guitar going on, so mm -hmm. that's... No, I dig that. So, I I was listening uh, a little bit to the lyrics. Obviously, we were talking a little bit over it, but um, what was he saying was the wrong way? Was it working that he was referencing? Well, no, it's basically talking about drinking their soul, you know, drinking and roaming the streets in, on uh. Christmas Day instead of in the church praying where you should be on Christmas Day. Is that what people, like religious people, do they do that? I think so. I think a lot of people go to like uh, midnight mass, right, um, for Christmas. Like the you know, the night before Christmas, they go to a midnight mass. It's like the to... worst. <laughs> like yeah, presumably, it... there's gonna be shitty weather. You're gonna be with a bunch of judging people. Mm -hmm. yeah, you know, yeah. He didn't bother putting on his Sunday best. Uh huh. Too yeah, good oh, for Jesus. Church, church people are the worst. <laughs> yeah. I'm going on record as saying the worst people in the world. <laughs> oh my gosh! I, I might be able to think of one or two worse. Nope. Okay. You're well, wrong. All right. <laughs> it is church folk. And it's ironic because I absolutely adore gospel music. Uh, oh, I, I love too, the soul yeah. in it. And I, I, I would never really want to like go and be a part of it. But I love the, the sense of communal singing that can be brought out in certain church uh, houses. So oh, yeah. especially when it's, you know, uh, James Brown and the blues brother doing it, <laughs> then I really dig it. Then you really like, yeah. <laughs> but that, you know, it, it's, it's sort of that weird thing where the religion and the people I abhor and the <laughs> music and uh, the, the collective sure. outbreak spontaneous supposedly outbreak of music uh, is something that I, I just have this deep appreciation for. Yeah. You know, a lot of people can't get over that and I feel sorry for them because they never have, they never get to listen to gospel music, which is some of the best music out, out there, you know, but they also, they never get to listen to like 
screwdriver. You know, I don't, I yeah. don't, I don't know if you're familiar with screwdriver, but um, they're like white power, mm-hmm. pretty. Yeah. Uh, you know, so there's, I can listen to them and disregard completely their message, <laughs> just as I do with gospel music. So yeah, there's a whole lot of music out there that I think is great music that I don't necessarily have to agree. With you know, with the politics in it. <laughs> yeah. And, and that, I mean, actually goes, um, also hand in hand with the, the idea of Christmas itself. Mm, I mean, yeah, you said exactly. you, you, um, celebrated Christmas and I have actually raised my children to, um, you know, the whole Santa and the tree and the, you know, uh, the carols and stuff. So even though in some of the songs there is reference to religious dictate, um, you know, we sort of just shave that off the end. And focus yeah. on the fun part, which is the magic, magic of Christmas. So, absolutely, I think a lot of you know, folks that are raising their children, you know, in a secular household, they they maybe struggle with that. Like, do we do the Santa Christmas thing? And I think it, it, at this point in time, it's it would be cruel to children if you didn't allow them to celebrate Christmas and get the presents that their friends are getting. I mean, you were raised Mormon, is that right? Oh yeah. So you didn't get to celebrate Christmas as a kid, did you? Yeah, they do. <laughs> yeah. Oh, they do. Okay. Yeah. It's well, not like a Jehovah's were... Witness, I think. Or... Oh, okay. Maybe it's yeah. Some them, I think, are the ones that don't. Oh, okay. I apologize. I don't know anything about it. Oh, you're better for it. <laughs> <laughs> do you want to jump in the next one here? Yeah, we might as well. And I'm also going to because I had some feedback. Oh, really? People, well, who said? Are you? Do you talk over the songs the whole time? <laughs> <laughs> usually and they said well so i'm gonna try to talk a little bit less and maybe we can talk more after but um well no i mean we'll stick to our usual format but i'm gonna try to talk just a smidgen less maybe well for the record (laughs) i didn't see any of that feedback so i am gonna be talking my ass off especially now that i heard that (laughs) no i mean okay so the titles and the artists are are spoken to so you should definitely be checking out these amazing artists that um, Aaron is bringing oh. up every week and I'm speaking to that person right now but <laughs> if you want to hear that music it, you know it's sort of like um, any commentary on anything we do ideally if if we reference an article or um, an essay or a book you know you're not going to be yeah you're not going to be sitting here expecting us to read it verbatim to you you're, you're right. going to you know be interested and look it up for yourself and go enjoy it on your own time and everything so yeah, Though, so fuck you guys. <laughs> I do appreciate people wanting to hear these amazing songs, and you're going to, but don't expect uninterrupted because I can't. That's not how we do it <laughs> That's here. That's not how I roll, motherfucker. Not the down to the crossroads <laughs> way. Yeah. So. All right. Um, so let's start our next song, shall we? And we'll just we jabber just lost all listeners. <laughs> all right. Ready? Yeah. Here we go. Yeah, from that woman. What? Without a child, a chicken only That's yard. right, yep. Now you might remember her from the Halloween mm-hmm. Down to the Crossroads episode. She was talking about the bloodthirsty blues on that one. Oh, I love this one. I do too. I woke up Christmas morning. What I'll do get morning. Yep. Now that's Lonnie Johnson on the guitar. He's pretty well known in his own right. They hooked up for a little while, did some work together. I love, I love. Mo- what I love most about Victoria Spivey is that she sings about sex and drugs and violence and disease and about all of the awful things in life. 
And she's got that great voice, too, of course. Now, unfortunately, I couldn't find anywhere on the internet the lyrics to this song, so I don't know what they are exactly, except what I can hear. But I do know that she has a man who broke the law in Georgia, and now he's in jail. Yep. <laughs> and there she says, and he won't be around for New Year's because death will be his Santa Claus. Oh, no. Oh. This is a great line, too. She says, my man's so deep in trouble, the white folk couldn't get him free. You know, it's, you know shit's really bad when the black people can't even, I mean, the white people can't even do anything for you. Yeah, they read the laws and they can't even circumvent No. <laughs> oh, she's great. <laughs> Boy, in a voice degree. <laughs> I love this. Yeah. <laughs> I never had a Christmas with trouble like this before. Yeah, she's great. She wrote, she wrote a lot of her own songs. I don't know if this is one of them, but and she played that that piano. I'm not sure if this is her on this recording, but in a lot of the recordings of hers, it's just her on the piano, too, and she plays this, uh, that, like, uh, Texas Barrel House style of piano, which is really just, uh, like, a rollicking and, you know. Oh, I love that call of hers. <laughs> she's, you know, she started playing in the whorehouses and the barrel houses, you know, the bars, basically, in, in Texas in the 20s and 30s, and she picked up, I guess, her piano style there, and I guess that's where she got a lot of her ideas about what life is all about, you know, sex and drugs and violence and That makes all sense. That. <laughs> I, I can see that. Yeah. Brothels and... So on her tombstone, she wants written, I uh, died on, with the Christmas morning blues. <laughs> that is awesome. <laughs> All right. I gotta tell you, there's something about, um, uh, I've always had a kind of a thing uh, for colored girls. And, oh, yeah. yeah, and it's only like, uh, it's like the uh, the big mama ones, you know, like like Queen Latifah nowadays would be, in my opinion. <laughs> where um, Except she's a lesbian. Is she? You can't have her. Yes, what? she's a lesbian. Come no. on. Yes, she's oh. off off the list. Sorry. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, uh, replace her with uh, what's his name, Tyler Perry. <laughs> <laughs> in a dress, in a dress, obviously. I can I can tug it to the side. It's <laughs> yeah. It's fucked up. No, it, you know, it's that idea. That, like like normally, I would never be attracted. It's just not really the the look I go for, but when these women start singing like this and it, it totally pushes the the visual out of my mind and all I can think of is that draw and that the, the passion that they're pushing out of their mouths and it's amazing it's it's very attractive to me it's weird yeah it's sexy I agree yeah, yeah absolutely um, <laughs> what do we have next we're gonna play some sunny boy Williamson oh, so yeah. let's go ahead and hit that hit play you. button <laughs> Thank you. 
Starts right out with that uh, Sonny Boy Williamson harmonica that he's so famous for. Well, it was all one Christmas morning. So this is a, a little bit later. This is recorded, I think, in 1951. This is all about how his woman left him on Christmas. It's the drinking on Christmas And it's obviously all her fault that he's an alcoholic. Hell yeah, she shouldn't have left. Of course. <laughs> should have bowed down. <laughs> he says here, he said, uh, I tried to fetch religion, but the devil would not let me pray. So, so that's why he got drunk on Christmas. So it's the devil's fault. Yeah, yeah. I don't fault or the devil's fault, but it's not his fault. That's I, and in some cases, they're the same. <laughs> Push you to sin. I love that he's just pushing off his addiction on her. <laughs> yeah. I can stop anytime I want. <laughs> now that I want you to bring my baby one of these radios and two or three of them electric fans. So, Sonny Boy Williamson the second. Now that this is uh, there, Sonny Boy Williamson was a blues. The first was a, also a blues musician. I think we talked about him in one of the earlier episodes, but this is the second iteration. They have not at all related. <laughs> Sonny Boy. Two, just kind of like the name, so we took it. Uh, but he had a, this kind of this huge career that lasted from oh, I don't know in the early maybe like twenties or thirty. No, wait, I'm making that up. Let me see. He died in sixty-five. Okay, so nineteen ten. <laughs> he was born in eighteen ninety-nine. So you know, you do the math. He was like twenty or something. Um, yeah, and, but he started playing, you know, he was, he had this huge career that he was able to play with Robert Johnson way back then, but he also like, went on to go like, play with Eric Clapton and Robbie Robertson and Jimmy Page, he did this whole European tour in the 60s. Yeah, just took it all around. But he would disappear for months at a time or years at a time and then pop back up. But he had this uh, radio show for for many years, the King Biscuit Flatter Maybe. <laughs> yeah. Um, so he's he's one of my favorites. But he's getting, yeah, it's great how just his career went from the beginning to the, you know, the 60s. Hell yeah. Welcome to King Biscuit Flower Hour. I think that's what it was called. I'm, I should have uh, written it down. I was like, I know that. Blue I don't for need all to write you sinners out there. <laughs> so that was Sonny Boy Williamson. Mm. And the last, the uh, last little thing we got is just—it's a short little, another little. The last thing to... we're breaking the barrier. Yeah. Holy oh yeah. Holy shit! All right. Oh, this is a... this is. Mm -hmm. It's another little caution. I wanted to bookend it with the other cautionary nice. tale, so let's go ahead and play it. And you just uh, so who is this? This is a uh... this is the Reverend J M Gates. Reverend J M Gates in the hizzy. Yep. <laughs> 
He's got something to say to y'all. I want to give you a little lecture this morning. I'm using for a subject death may be your Sandy Claw. Why do we think on the 25th of December, we are expecting a great day. But on that day, it is said that Jesus uh, was born. Uh, but we celebrate Christmas uh, wrong. Uh, from the way I look at this matter, uh, shooting fireworks, cushions, and dancing, and raising all other kind of things. Uh, but death may be your standard law. Mm, right. Those of you who are speaking uh, to the little folk and telling them that standard law is coming to see them, and the little boys telling mother and father, tell the old fans to bring me a little pistol. What? That same little gun may be uh, death in that boy's home. Oh, yeah. Death may be his standard law. That little old girl is saying to mother and the farmer, tell the old Santa <laughs> to bring me a little deck of car that I may play a fire up in the park. I love the vision of like those, you know, the women, all the biddies like around this preacher man. They're doesn't mince words here. He's, I think his point is pretty clear. That... Is that the midnight masses? Because I might be uh, popping in. I think that's what happens at those midnight masses. <laughs> you think that's the message they share nowadays? Yeah. Jesus, the lamb <laughs> brings peace. But Santa Claus, he'll bring hey. a death. <laughs> I say to you. <laughs> so that's the, I hope the name of the episode is going to be Death Might Be Your Santa Claus. Done and done. <laughs> Badass. Well, thank you. Those were some amazing, amazing tracks. Thank and, uh, you. I hope you have a merry little holiday. Ready? Oh, you too. Thank you. Yeah, that's right. A little bit of sin. Definitely some drinking. <laughs> oh, for sure. And try not to have any death. Try not to. Yeah. yeah. I think Santa likes you. Mm. I hope. You know, I don't see why he wouldn't. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. 
I mean, I do. Oh, all the good work you do on his behalf. It's true, though. I give the gift of sin. And like, what is greater than that? I'm like doing half his job for him. I should be getting exactly. like some of them damn cookies. Mm-hmm. I think Santa hates Christians, actually. Yeah, that's why I bring. Now it back. that I think about it, yeah, that's true. All right, well that's that's good stuff. Christmas, everybody. <laughs> All right, and everyone, you can check out Erin online and send her more talking over music hate mail at her Facebook page. This was a- this, that was a face-to-face feedback, by the oh, way, and really? I'll tell you who it was when we're done. We'll, right. I'll call them out. Right. <laughs> well, uh, for all of you who haven't sent the emails, send them. Uh, go to Down Please. to the Crossroads on Facebook and contact Aaron. Let her know that it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter <laughs> this time of year whether we talk over the music. As long as Santa goes. So, hallelujah. <laughs> <laughs> all right, and you can also reach her on Twitter at ChelseaGirl19. Once again, it has been an absolute pleasure. Thank you for joining me. pleasure is all mine. And that is going to do it for another show. I hope you enjoyed it. I would love to hear from you. Visit the website 9centspodcast.com and send your correspondence to info at 9centspodcast.com. Let me know of any suggestions, critiques, corrections, or general comments you might have. The holidays are on us. And I got you back. Asp Apparel's official Nine Cents clothing and accessories found at AspApparel.com. My children's book, How Crow Got His Scare Back, you can find that at crow.adampcampbell.com. And Nine Cents presents Satanists on Satanic Cinema, found at satanistsonsatanicsinema.com. It's Nine Cents. It's the holidays. It goes together like, like peas in a pot or... or Santa and death. It's the same thing. Two sides of the same coin. Spread the word and help support the show. You can visit the Satanet Facebook, Google+, Twitter, or MySpace page for 9 cents and get updated on weekly topics. Listen to the show at RadioFreeSatan.com or download the show Monday nights via my RSS feed found at 9centspodcast.com. We're also on LastFM, Stitcher, Spotify, and YouTube. So look for us there. You can subscribe via 9... <laughs> Two nine cents via iTunes by searching nine cents. Don't forget to leave a rating or comment. Hey, and I actually got another comment and a couple more ratings since I last checked. So thank you very much, everyone. I do appreciate it. Let's keep it up. Let's keep bumping nine cents up. If you'd like to learn more about the Church of Satan, visit churchofsatan.com. And if you'd like to hear other fine satanic voices, music, or personalities, visit radiofreesatan.com, the source for online satanic media. Once again, thank you for joining me. And as always, I'm your host, Adam Campbell, and until next week, Hail Satan!